0: If you would please take out your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 11, as we pick up from where we left off last week. As we turn to God's Word, let's go to Him once again in prayer and ask for His help. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we just sang, would you be pleased until that day when we see your face, would you... Help us to keep believing the gospel of grace. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us, that we have your word. We also have your Holy Spirit with us. And so, Father, would your word and spirit have their way with us? Would they help us to mature this day, to become more like Jesus Father, thank you for not leaving us to find our way home, but giving us your word and giving us your spirit. We thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are at week 29 in Acts. I have no idea um, how many. Weeks will eventually be in Acts, we'll probably take a break again this summer for a summer psalm series, and we may stop here and there for other small series, but we're marching through Acts, and I want us to hear these words again, you've seen it printed before a time or two, but in his commentary on Acts in the early pages, Dennis Johnson writes this, of course God gave us the book of Acts to do more than satisfy our historical curiosity, Like all scripture, its purpose is to inform and deepen our faith in Jesus Christ. Acts does this in a special way by letting us view how Jesus kept his promise to be with his church and build his church through the personal presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, Luke's story, that is both Luke and Acts, From beginning to end is the story of the acts and teachings of Jesus. This is the first thing Luke wants us to know about the church. Jesus is still at work here and now. Those are good words that I need to hear often to remind me of why all scripture in general and acts in particular is so important. And indeed in our study of acts we are looking back to what God has already done we're looking ahead to what God will continue to do now by his Holy Spirit in his church founded by his apostles. Acts helps orient us to God's word and to the work of God. And in doing so, it serves as an anchor in a storm-tossed life that we all live. And it serves as an engine as well when sometimes we feel that We're not just at idle, but we might even be going backwards. Acts is an anchor. It holds us fast to the historical truth of the Christian gospel. Acts also pushes us forward and outward from ourselves into the world. It holds us back to be faithful to the truth. It, It pushes us forward to proclaim that truth to the world around us. Have you ever wondered where a word came from? Is that called etymology, maybe? The word study? Uh, Have you ever wondered where a name came from? Some of you probably have researched your family's name to find out where did it come from. Um, Everybody's familiar with Verizon, right? Some of you might have an intimate relationship with Verizon as they take your donation every month. Um, but back in 2000, uh, Bell Atlantic uh, acquired a GTE and adopted the name Verizon. Now, before that time, that name did not exist. I mean, what does Verizon mean? Have you ever thought about that? Well, it comes really from two words, Veritas and Horizon. A Veritas Latin truth and of course, Horizon. It, it was chosen to portray a company that is both reliable and visionary. Verizon. Well, sometime in the in the 40s in Antioch, the name Christian appeared for the first time. It was a new name. It didn't exist before. Only three times in the New Testament, uh, Twice in Acts and once in First Peter, do you see the word Christian or Christians? Let that sink in for a moment. Only three times in Scripture do you find the name Christian. What you do find all over the place is disciples, saints, believers, brothers, witnesses. But you don't really see the word, the name Christian. Well, we need to set the stage You see, the the church is outwardly expanding from Jerusalem. Uh, Join me as I read just verses 19 through 21 to start. 19 through 21. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Well, years had passed since this dispersion and scattering that followed Stephen's death. If you want to just turn back a few pages to chapter 8, you see in chapter 8, verse 1, and there arose on that day, that is the day of Stephen's martyrdom, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison but look at verse 4 of chapter 8 now those who were scattered went about preaching the word it's almost like from verse 4 of Acts 8 to now, we just, we just paused and, and told another uh, story, the story of Peter and Cornelius, among others, and, and here we are picking back up. It's important to note that persecution caused the church to spread, the church to grow. Um, my friends, that is not common sense, is it? We all think suffering and difficulty causes things to to not flourish, right? To, To shrink and shrivel. And yet, common sense and God's ways sometimes part, don't they? Difficulty and hardship are no match for the work of God. No match. Is it difficult? Is it hard? God says, no problem. Antioch. It's the capital of Roman province of Syria. It's in modern day southeast Turkey, 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It's the third largest city at the time in the Roman Empire. There's Rome. There's Alexandria in Egypt. And there's Antioch. About 500,000 people at this time. And about one-seventh of the population is Jewish. Antioch. and And as I describe Antioch, think about today's cities. Think of New York and Mexico City and Paris and London and Tokyo and Beijing. Antioch is a political center, it's a commercial center, it's a morally corrupt center. There's utter pagan life on display. Antioch is a great cosmopolitan city. There are Jews and Greeks and Romans and Arabs and Asians and Africans. It's a, it's a melting pot. And it's full of religious activity. The church that emerges in these days is counter-cultural. It's, it's going to be a new people. It's a new humanity that God is forming out of many nationalities and indeed We see in Antioch that there is a new name given to a new people. It's in Antioch where Christians, excuse me, look at that. Hmm. It's in Antioch where disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, got the nickname Christian. Um, Let's let's pick up where I uh, ended and, and start in verse 22 and go down to 30. So after a report that a great number who believed turned to the Lord, we read this beginning in 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So here in Antioch, we read that the disciples of Jesus get a new name. What's in a name? Who are Christians? Well, It's not exhaustive, but I believe our text tells us at least three things. First, Christians are people who believe the gospel. Christians are people who believe the gospel. Believe what? They believe the gospel announced by Jesus. Look at verse 21 who believed turned to the Lord. You see, belief results in action. I believe. Therefore, I do. They believe and they turn. It's kind of like the layout of the book On Being Presbyterian. Presbyterian beliefs, practices, and stories. You see, the beliefs come first and then the practices. And notice in verse 19 that there's the speaking of the word. And in verse 20, the preaching of the Lord Jesus. It's not a problem to use different words. uh, Preaching. The Lord Jesus speaking the word, it actually reinforces. You see here, the word is identified as as Jesus. Preaching Jesus and preaching the word are the same thing. Here we see repentance and faith. If you remember from our series in Mark's gospel, in Mark 1.14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Isn't that amazing? Jesus' earthly ministry has ended. He's not there physically present. His apostles are there. The Holy Spirit is there. And the gospel is being proclaimed. And people are turning to the Lord. They are believing. It's almost a no-brainer. But you'd be amazed at the number of people who, who, who call themselves Christians and yet don't believe. Think about that. People identify as Christians, they say they're Christians, and yet they don't believe. And they'll actually tell you. Before we moved here from Pennsylvania, I was um, visiting a friend and not too far away from where we'd lived. And I was talking to him, and he told me about the story of a... Um, a, uh, a, a A pastor coming in to to, take a, to 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 serve a new church, and that pastor had to be examined and one of the questions is, Do you believe in the resurrection of jesus and the the pastor being examined um, hesitated a bit, and the examiners were a little bit puzzled and, and they couldn't figure out why this the, couldn't say yes, so they rephrased the question they said. If the scriptures say that Jesus was raised from the dead, well, do you believe that? And according to this friend, the answer was, well, um, I guess if the, if the scriptures say that, yes, I do believe it. Can you believe that? Sorry to mix the word there, but people who call themselves Christians and yet don't believe. But it's important to see here from our text that belief requires The action of God. You see, look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord. You see, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Paul would say to the church in Corinth, hey, I planted, Apollos watered, but you know what? God gave the growth. You see, the Lord's hand is upon this situation. He's at work. Uh, God is giving people faith, but guess what? They are doing the believing. Have you ever thought about it, that God opens our eyes, but who does the seeing? We do. God opens our ears, but who does the hearing? We do. So people are turning to the Lord, but of course, it's the Lord's hand upon them at work. And we see that people who believed are called by the name Christian, and we see that in verse 26. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christian. Now, if the historical study is accurate, this is not a this is not a great name. This is a, a term of mockery brought on by the pagans. The pagans are calling these believers Christians. Because you see, so many people are now talking about and living for Christ. That their presence was felt by the entire population who coined the nickname Christians. That is Christ men, Christ people, people who belong to Christ. Interestingly, it was only in the second century, probably 50 to 100 years later, did followers of Jesus actually start calling themselves Christians. Before, again, it was disciples, saints, brothers, brothers. One commentator says this, the name is significant because it shows that it was the identification with Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, that people noticed. See, a new separate identity was emerging. You see, it's one thing to call yourself a Christian. It's another thing to be called a Christian by others. Let that sink in for a moment. It's one thing to call yourself a Christian. It's another thing to be called a Christian by someone else. And in the case of those in Antioch, by unbelievers. You see, Christians are first and foremost people who believe the gospel. A Christian is a person whose belief has changed and is continuing to change them. You see... People go from being self centered and selfish to being God centered and generous. In other words, Christians are people who share. People who share what they have been given with others. In other words, people are generous. And I think we'll see at least three things. They they share, first of all, material possessions. Look down at verse 29. There's famine relief, they're sending relief. And you noticed in, in Acts 4 that. Christians shared with one another, and they provided for one another. Barnabas shows up there. They, they give and they share material possessions, but they also share, of course, what? Spiritual possessions. Go back to where we began. Verse 19 and 20. They are speaking the word. They are preaching the Lord Jesus. Does anybody know the names of these evangelists? Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose traveled speaking the word. Those went to Cyprus and Cyrene. They came to Antioch. They they preached to the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. We don't even know their names. And yet we are in their legacy. We're in debt to them. They're sharing, giving away their material possessions. They're spiritual possessions, and, and they're really giving of themselves, aren't they? Uh, there's this combination both of material and spiritual, and we, we, we see Barnabas kind of a pivot figure between the Hebrew and the Greek world, and he's laboring, and he's glad, and there's a, a, a ministry of Barnabas, and we saw earlier where he evaluates Saul, and he affirms Saul. He, he goes now to Tarsus to get Saul for help, to help. He knew of Saul's call to the Gentiles. uh, Barnabas is humble and there's this wonderful partnership that it's going to be about teaching. And the church is built up. Have you ever thought about this? You share what you have. It's impossible to share what you don't have. I mean, it's, it's a tough call, but sometimes I think the reason why people don't share Christ is they don't have Christ. They can't share what they don't have. So, what are you sharing with others these days? You know, Jesus talks about out of the heart the mouth speaks, and often our our uh, my mind goes straight to the bad stuff. Right? Yep. Heart corrupt. Yep. I, yep. I said that. I hurt you and. It's not just a problem with my outward words. It's a problem with my heart. But you know what? There's also good things, right, that come out of the heart Uh, words that build up and encourage and strengthen and uh, confront and love and and, and speak the truth. You're, You're sharing with others what you yourself have. So just ask yourself what are you sharing with others? Christians are people who believe, Christians are people who share. And Christians are people who believe and share for a long, long, long time. Because you see, Christians are people, thirdly, who remain faithful to the Lord. Faithful to the Lord. Uh, First things first. After coming to faith, uh, they were taught. Uh, If you see in um, verse 26... And when he found them, he brought him to Antioch. That's Barnabas found Saul, brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And earlier, you see, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He's teaching them. It's Acts 2 of, of what do the people do? They devote themselves to the teaching of the Lord. They're brought to faith and then they're taught. Um, it's the expression, you, you catch them and then you clean them when it comes to fish. And it's the same way. The Lord, as it were, catches people and then he cleans people. And upon arrival, again, the first thing Barnabas did was to exhort, to encourage them to remain faithful. And why would he do that? Why would he teach them to be faithful? Why? Well, of course, it's because the Christian life is not easy. It is hard. There are times when you want to quit. A great friend of mine once, when we were meeting together, back in Virginia, told me this. He said, perseverance only begins when you come to the point of wanting to give up. In other words, he was telling me, Lee, you have not persevered yet. Oh, wow, what a good word then. Because I would remember that perseverance begins at the moment I want to quit. You guys ever been at that point? where you want to give up, you want to turn back. Hey, the whole book of Hebrews is written to encourage people to persevere in the faith and not turn back. We all love the Olympic Games, at least I do. I love the track and field events. No one gets the medal that doesn't finish. You know, if you read the the statistics after the race and want the results, you see that DNF. DNF did not finish, did not finish. It's a marathon, and you all who have run some long races know that there's people on the sides cheering you on. There's water stations. There's people running with you, indeed running for you at times. Paul, the preacher of grace, writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9, so run that you may obtain it. That is the prize. Paul, the, the proclaimer of God's grace, says run to obtain it. It's not a contradiction in terms. So they're taught, and they're reminded that the Christian life is a faithful life when you hear the word faithful, what do you think? Well, is there a perseverance? Yes. Is there an ongoing nature? Yeah, but it's also a life full of faith. The Christian life is full of faith. We keep believing. It's not a one and done. It's not a one-off. It's ongoing belief. There was an old 80s song some of you might know, keep on believing, right? That's what It's what the writers, especially of the New Testament, are encouraging the church to keep on believing with steadfast purpose, having a resolve, having eyes fixed on Jesus. I think this draws our attention to the importance of the ministry of exhortation or encouragement. Again, when he came and saw the grace of God, that's Barnabas, he was glad. It's interesting. Did you all know that the grace you can see the grace of God? Well, from Titus we see that the grace of God is Jesus. But here I believe when he says the grace of God, he's talking about changed and changing lives. He's seeing people who are believing and their lives are changing. And what does he do? He exhorts them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. The ministry of encouragement. Isn't that Barnabas, the encourager? The one who comes alongside? How many of you all are like that? Come alongside someone, encourage them, point them to Jesus, cheer them on. I'm so glad that the you in the New Testament letters is really y'all, isn't it? Y'all, come alongside one another, cheer one another on, at times confront one another with sin, absolutely. But when somebody's at the point of giving up, come alongside and walk with them. It's not on our website. I don't even think it's on any of our written literature. But you know what's a great ministry here at Grace and Peace? The ministry of encouragement. Are you part of it? Are you part of the giving of encouragement? Are you on the receiving of encouragement? It's a great ministry. And I'm so thankful that the Lord has been pleased to establish it and grow it here. Okay, we see from our text that Christians are people who, among other things, believe the gospel, share what they've been given, um, and they're called to remain faithful. But you know what? that can be quite discouraging, right? Because if we look in the mirror, if we look at ourselves and say, do I believe? Do I share? Could anyone see me as remaining faithful? It can be really discouraging to look in the mirror. So what do you do? What do you do if this is who a Christian is, someone who believes, shares, and is faithful? What do you do if you look in the mirror and you don't see that? Well, to quote Robert Murray McShane, a Presbyterian pastor from Scotland who only lived to his 40s, he wrote this, Do not take up your time so much with studying your own heart, In other words, look in the mirror, but don't stay there. Don't take up your time so much with studying your own heart as with studying Christ's heart. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. In other words, step away from the mirror and look out the window. Look away from yourself and look to Christ as he's made known in the gospel, in his word. And and what do we see when we look to Jesus? What do we see as he's made known in the world? we, We see someone who believed, who trusted his father. We see someone who shared what he had with others. And we see someone, in fact, the only one who remains faithful to the end, even death on a cross. You see, he believed, he shared, and he remained faithful, not just for himself, but for all of those who would trust in him. He did this for his people. And so, my friends, do look in the mirror, but don't stay there. Look away from yourself and and to the Lord. By by how? By by listening to him in his word. The Lord speaks. And by speaking to him in prayer. It's the dialogical Christian life. God speaks to us through his word. We speak to him in prayer. We have a relationship with him. God speaks, we listen. We speak, he listens. So we need to wrap up by going over what is the most important question and the most important declaration. You see, the most important question that you could be asked is not that someone would ask you, are you a Christian? You see, the most important question is the one that Jesus asked you, who do you say that I am? The most important statement you and I can make is not that I am a Christian, although that may be true. That's not the most important statement. But rather, the most important statement is the one that Jesus makes of you. You are mine. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, Christian is a new name for a new person. Who are you? Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these verses in Acts where we see the word at work and the spirit at work in calling people to faith in Jesus and changing lives. Oh, Father, we thank you that in your economy, suffering and persecution and difficulty and hardship did not lead to the extinguishing of the gospel, but rather the flourishing of the gospel. Father, may we here at Grace and Peace in 2020 Rest assured that suffering and persecution and difficulty and trials is no obstacle for you. But may they be used to strengthen our faith, to grow our faith. Father, would you help your people gathered here to keep on believing the gospel, to share the riches of that gospel that we've been given with one another and others. And Father, would you help us remain faithful to the end as we place our eyes not on ourselves, our strengths, our abilities, but rather we place our eyes on Jesus, our faithful Lord, our faithful Savior. For we pray in his name. Amen.